Cream Pod All-Star Break Edition. A lot of others are taking this week off, completely not us. We're grinding. We got lots of great information in this Dream Pod. We're going to go ahead and discuss during the MLB All-Star Break things that pros are doing to get ready for the season and to make money right now. Vegas is back. I'll talk about my observations about Vegas reopening and all that I have observed. Little review discussion about Resorts World. First mega casino opening up on the strip since the Cosmopolitan opened back in 2010. So it's been over 10 years. Resorts World opens up. Little lifestyle here. Time to maybe take a little time away from gambling. I discuss five of my personal favorite restaurants, places to eat, places to go in Las Vegas. We're going to discuss a historic line move that occurred this past week. The largest line move that we have ever identified. I'll tell you where it occurred, why it occurred, and lessons to be learned from it. And, of course, best bets. We've got one from Dave Diamond, Dave Essler, one from the Hitman, and best bet from yours truly. Without any further discussion, let's get to it. Dream Pod All-Star Break. Sports betting during the All-Star Break. I want to go ahead and provide my thoughts, comments about this unique week where there are so few games, specifically you have the MLB All-Star Game, and you'll have one NBA playoff game and very little else. This is a week historically that the vast majority of sports bettors, pro sports bettors I know, go on vacation this week or do alternative research, if you will, and really aren't hands-on. But that can create opportunity. Why? Because there's so few eyes actually looking at any virgin lines that are being put up. And because of that, oftentimes, if a mistake is put up by the sports books, it will stay out there for longer. Further... Many of the sports books, same rationale. The A-list odds makers are on vacation as well, and so the B team is oftentimes setting lines. And because of that, you can get some tremendous opportunities. Let me outline one that was out there here this morning as we're taping. DraftKings put up season win numbers, MLB, for how many games teams are going to win basically for the rest of the year, adjusted for what they've already won. So the over-under on one team in particular, Arizona, over-under, 59.5. McKenzie, let me ask you, have you been following MLB very much at all during the course of the season? No, just got the opportunity to get into it a little bit yesterday during watching the All-Star game. But no, not, not closely, no. In highly technical terms, the Arizona Diamondbacks are hot garbage. <laughs> Year-to-date, 26 and 66 for a winning percentage of, wait for it, 283. So if Arizona finishes the year at 34 and 36, it would be one of the greatest turnarounds in the history of baseball. Here's a team that doesn't win 30% of their games. For them to finish just below 50% the rest of the way would just be remarkable. Completely, um, I, I'm. I can't even emphasize how much of an underdog they are to get to 60 wins, and yet DraftKings put up 59.5. I would say that's a 95% bet that you could have played under 59.5, and I think that bet alone illustrates how much value you can oftentimes get if you're the first to spot some virgin lines that are completely off. So I'm just looking up right now at the opening uh, before the season, season wins, 
Looks like 75 and a half for the Diamondbacks, about 46% winning percentage. So are you, does it seem like they're just putting this number up, the second half number, blindly, not adjusting at all for what we saw in the first half? You know, you're going to have to ask them because anyone that's following baseball knows Arizona's been getting dealt like plus 280 seemingly on a nightly basis against the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants. But um, Yeah, but their expected win percentage in the second half by that bad number, does it match up with the 46% of games they were expected to win before the season? Yes, it does. Okay. So that's a possible rationale. I think a more likely rationale is that it should have been 54 and a half, and somebody wrote a four that looked like a nine, and that's what got <laughs> ah. typed in. That's my theory at, at the very least. So that um, there are some other soft baseball numbers out there, including uh, the Minnesota Twins at 77 and a half, which certainly looked high to me. But that would go back to what you were saying, McKenzie, that if you just projected the Twins based upon what their power rating was to start the season, you would get a number similar to 77.5 instead of what I, I expected, 74.5. So I did bet under 77.5 as well on the Twins. But um, it just goes to show that if you're working actively during this time of year, you can spot some stuff that can very well be very much off. And I expect, you know, with the Olympics coming up, that some of these numbers in the Olympics, which I don't historically follow you're going to be able to find some real value there as well you think there were some angry managers getting in after a long vacation on monday to say hey we put out what number <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's interesting because if you put up a bad number in a season win like baseball do you tell your boss you put up a bad number or do you say you know what by the time <laughs> this thing grades on october 1st we'll have made <laughs> so much money in football no one will even care it'll be um in corporate terms de minimis in terms of the ten thousand dollar loss or whatever it turns out to be on arizona and the arizona uh total is currently at 56 and a half we've all seen office space if we can just take one penny per million out of these corporations' pockets, we're going to do fine, and they won't even notice. Hey, Superman 3 went ahead and did that, and they, they, they <laughs> yes. did ultimately notice, although if you are going to embezzle funds from the firm, probably don't pull up in a uh, Lambo or something similar in front of cor <laughs> the corporate office. Yes. All right. All-Star Break gives an opportunity to do some research. So I've been doing some recent reading on the literature out there, and i got to give a book report here. 2020 Sports Betting, Think Like a Pro by Logan Fields. I got to be honest. I think this is the best sports betting book that's ever been written in terms of how uh, mid-level pros actually make money betting sports because Logan Fields is a really sharp guy and he outlines you know all kinds of ancillary stuff in his book like how much you should wager in Final Jeopardy, etc., which is a nice bonus, but the bottom line is Logan Fields attacks markets that a lot of pros ignore, such as golf, and he looks for props within those sports that oftentimes others ignore. Uh, a couple of juicy tidbits, just to summarize, John Daly, he made a fortune betting against John Daly whenever Daly would play in events in Las Vegas. Now, this makes a lot of sense. John Daly, not exactly the most disciplined person, and the man loves to gamble. I don't think it's a coincidence that the two majors he won were in Crooked Stick, Nowheresville, middle of the country, and he did win a British Open where he probably couldn't get into too much trouble. His results have not been good in Las Vegas. Another thing I really liked about Logan Fields is his emphasis on weather, talking about, wow, 
Wind Kills Golfers, and he made a small fortune going ahead and fading golfers, betting them over their projected round totals on days where the conditions were just impossible. All right. Best bet sports betting books. Get this one. 2020 Sports Betting Think Like a Pro by Logan Fields. Vegas, July 2021. Have to give a report on Vegas. So much going on. The positive. I think this was the most crowded July day that I've ever seen on the Las Vegas Strip since I have lived here. Confluence of events. Had a Bruno Mars concert. Had a Garth Brooks concert. U.S. Olympic basketball team is playing here. And there's going to be a WNBA All-Star game. All right, maybe that one's not so important. (laughs) But the first three, certainly the first two, Mackenzie, I'm driving into the strip. I'm going in the back way. I get on, don't get on I-15, but um, I'm so I'm driving along um, adjacent to the highway. Highway. I'm passing Mandalay Bay, and I'm hearing, seeing the signs. Huge delays. Parking. Event parking. Eighty dollars on the strip. So wow. forget about free parking. By the way, if you do come to Vegas a lot, or you live in Vegas, uh, the way out of paying for parking is sign up for the MGM Resorts credit card that will get you Pearl status on your player's card. Pearl status people park for free. So (laughs) that's a best bet that you absolutely have to take advantage of. But um, just walking around pandemic, shamdemic, there is no pandemic in terms of the perception of those attending all these events because it was as crowded as I have ever seen in Vegas. Why is that significant? Well, one, I think that Vegas is going to absolutely boom here in the rest of the the year this year in terms of sports betting, in terms of all aspects of gambling, because the crowds, the pent up demand is so huge. How does that help us as sports bettors? Well, I think it certainly helps us with more public money entering into the pool. And you'll start to see things where you'll get line moves that will go contrary to what they should. Examples this past weekend, I really think you got to go ahead and take a look at the McGregor-Poirier fight where, despite every pro that I spoke to saying Poirier was, had tremendous value and that Conor McGregor's best days for the notorious one are behind him, that um, you could really get bargains on Poirier, specifically when Las Vegas went, went as low as minus 120, when the market was minus 140. I saw some other shops at minus 125. I know what... Some folks are saying, Fez, you're past posting this. Easy to pick the winner after the fact. Well, my UFC fight of the year was indeed Poirier, so I was on him before the fight, and certainly lots of value going against Conor McGregor, uh, similar to the Mayweather-McGregor fight, where literally every pro better I know did bet on Mayweather in a boxing match. If you have an undefeated 50-0 boxer <laughs> against a pretty good UFC fighter, and they're in a boxing match. Mackenzie, who should you bet on? The undefeated boxer. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, I did want to mention also that the limits, though, in town have not been going up by what I've been observing. So oftentimes hard to make a whole lot of money. But this is really an exception to, to the rule where you can go ahead and get down big on things like a big UFC fight. 
And I can attest, last week, last Wednesday when you came in, you had the exact same, we had the exact same conversation about Poirier McGregor. The question was, it's 110 degrees outside in Vegas. Will there be enough public betting to get that number down? And the win, that's a place where a lot of, you know, international clientele likes to arrive at Five Star Resort. I'm wondering if all the international money, maybe some Irishmen, uh, for some good crack and some grand time came to the win and cop that number down. And you let me know about that minus 120. Thank you, because I did take advantage. Yeah, and I think that this was a perfect storm. It was so crowded. The pros know about the win, but like on the app, I bet it on the app laying minus 120, $200 limit on my app. And that's nice. And I was thinking, you know, I really should drive over to the win and get down. And I thought to myself, how much are they going to give me if I actually go there in person and make this bet? Maybe to win 500. They have not barred me, but they've certainly backed me off in terms mm. of taking large wagers. And so, was it worth my time to go over there and lay that minus 20 to get another nickel when I could just bet minus 130 effortlessly at several other shops, pretty much whatever I wanted to bet? And I got to be honest, the Bruno Mars concert and the Garth Brooks concert and all that traffic. And I said, it's going to take me a good hour and a half to get across town to the win and back. And it just wasn't worth my time, given I didn't think that they would take a really big bet. And I think there's other pros who thought that way. And because of that, there just wasn't enough pro money to balance the public money coming in on the notorious one. Last thing for me on Las Vegas, coming back to life, you mentioned Frank Daly not exactly the best Vegas player. The USA Olympic team, they lost two huge upsets, a 30-point favorite, a 19-point favorite, back-to-back -back losses. You, We've never seen that in college basketball. We looked it up. I wonder if that had something to do with it. I think that's a sage um, piece of advice there. By the way, you said Frank Daly. You want to... Um... John Daly. There right. we yeah. go. <laughs> Frankly, right, right. John Daly is not the guy you want to wager on in Vegas, <laughs> but certainly Vegas, a whole lot of distractions for the Vegas basketball team. You know, when you think about it, they really should be like practicing in Montana someplace. But then again, right, if, an Air Force base or Air Force base somewhere. Yeah, probably Durant wouldn't have been so eager to sign up for the <laughs> team, though, if that was indeed the case. Resorts World opens in Las Vegas. That's great news. It's fantastic for Vegas to have a brand new casino on the strip, first one since the Cosmopolitan back in 2010. And uh, obviously, Circa opened downtown just recently as well. And I want to emphasize, it's great news for competition and for Vegas to have a huge mega resort opening up. I do think there's some opportunities for improvement. I'm going to go ahead and do a quick review, and I'm going to try to be optimistic. I'm going to outline areas of improvement that Resorts World may well want to consider, consider because I do think they opened earlier than they should have. They weren't quite ready, and there are certainly glitches associated with Resorts World to summarize, um, I think Benny Binion once said, you know, you give people uh, a good food, good whiskey, a good gamble, and good parking, I think he said also. Maybe he didn't, but he should have, and people will come. Well, Resorts World did not get that memo, in my opinion, because um, my observations of Resorts World is, boy, is it difficult to get in there. I made the mistake of parking the Peppermill parking lot and walking because I was reminiscing about the old Stardust, and I was like, oh, I'll walk across the street just like I used to when I was like, there was a time, Mackenzie, I would bet halftime at the Riviera at their openers during the halftimes of the NFL and rush across the street and 
still be able to bet the half times at the Stardust, do a quick shopping, I'm, you know, running across the street. Well, good luck with that. Right. You go across the street, there's no entrance. There is no pedestrian entrance on the north side of the property. You have to walk all the way around into the parking garage area almost to get into the property. There's So literally it's a quarter of a mile of a walk from the pepper mill to get into the property. And this is adverse to everything that every strip property I've ever been in has done where if you're walking up and down the strip, it's easy to walk in and out of those properties. So there's strike one. But if you're driving, it's no picnic either. I've heard you can park in the hotel parking. It's not as bad, and you can certainly valet. But if you just follow the signs to self-parking, you will come to a parking lot that sits more than, well, it's about eighth of a mile away from the casino. But the navigation to park in that parking garage is not easy. It's not like a Mirage or a Treasure Island parking lot or a wind parking lot that's very laid out. So they flubbed the easily available uh, self-parking as well, something that, like I mentioned, these other properties, and certainly the South Point has nothing but parking all across the, the properties. Then you go inside. Okay, so there's not good accessibility. I get in, and there is no value to be found, specifically three dumplings and a Coke. I think the crack man said it'll set you back $25 in the food court. So, yes, you know, I expect to pay more when I'm on the Strip But this is gouging almost in terms of what the pricing level is. And the food court actually spills out to the casino. So you've got guys playing Wheel of Fortune slots and guys eating dumplings not four feet away from them in terms of the seating. It just has a very awkward feel across the board. And then for me, remember, I love the Stardust. I love the big Stardust sports book and the Stardust lottery to bet and the Stardust line. So when I walk through the casino, I'm like, well, they're going to have some uh, awareness that there's going to be some nostalgia guys like me that are going to want a good sports book. Nope. Right. Nope. You follow the signs. It's it's a scavenger hunt to try to find their sports book. It literally, you without the signs, you will never find it. If you enter on the north side of the property, following the signs The signs lead you to an ambiguous ending to the corner of the casino, which is actually, you know, closer to the front entrance by the self-parking. And there's an aptly named bar restaurant called The Doghouse. If you go to the back of The Doghouse, where the seating is, that's where the sports book is. But it literally feels like it's just by accident that it's placed in the back of the pub restaurant. Mackenzie, you've been there then? Yeah. As soon as it opened, I went there immediately looked for the sports book. I couldn't believe it. I thought, like, this must be some adjacent sports book, you know, part of it, but there's got to be a real sports book somewhere. (laughs) So think about this. Anyone that loved the Stardust and the nostalgia of the Stardust now all of a sudden is going to be bitterly disappointed with the sports book. Uh, Nice people in the sports book. I asked them what their limits are. They said they don't know. Um, (laughs) I asked them what the limits are in the app, and they said they Mm. don't know. (laughs) <laughs> so we'll see what develops with resorts. Well, apparently there's a resorts world like in the Catskills also. So I believe that the, the lines are being set out of there and not out of Vegas. I'm not 100% sure of that. But right now, limits very low, food really expensive, very difficult to get in and out of the place. I cannot give the resorts world a thumbs up unless you like antique cars because there were some cool ones in there and there's a really nice big globe to stare at one time when you go there but compared to bellagio fountains mirage volcanoes and the accessibility i cannot recommend it 
Well, hopefully some execs will listen to this podcast and they'll make the appropriate changes. I think you've laid out a very strong case as far as how they can get better. Much like Bill Belichick, every day we just want to get a little better. Let's get better with some of my restaurant lifestyle recommendations in Las Vegas. I'm going to give you five of them. I'm going to give you a little bit of everything here in terms of best restaurant, best value, etc. Number one on my list, and they're in no particular order, the Twist Restaurant. It's in Waldorf, Astoria. Used to be the Mandarin Oriental. That's in city center the complex, and it's on a higher floor and really a high-end French restaurant, beautiful view. This would be my number one restaurant if cost is no object and you're looking for ambiance and atmosphere. Are you familiar, Mackenzie? No, I haven't been there since they switched over from the Mandarin Oriental, which used to be a great place to grab a late-night drink. I bet it still is. Yeah, the view is just outstanding, like I said. And you can just go up there. They do have a bar if you just want to go up there for a drink. That's my romantic dinner Spend through the roof option. Let me give you a couple of buffets. My two favorite buffets. The Wynn Buffet, I think, does everything well. It's not cheap, but uh, I've never had a bad meal at the Wynn Buffet, and it is my favorite buffet on the strip, off the strip, Texas de Brazil in town center. You know, one of those Brazilian uh, steakhouse buffets where they go and carve the meat right at your table side. I have never had a bad meal there. One of my favorites, my best friend, John, it's, it's his favorite restaurant in Vegas. Mackenzie, have you been to Texas Deep Brazil? No, I'm a Fogo de, Chao, uh, de Chao guy for whatever reason, but I bet it's just as good. I bet it's even better. I'm going to have to check out Fogo de Chao as soon as I learn to pronounce it. Very good. <laughs> yeah, same thing. They go to your plate with the big steaks. It's an amazing experience. All right, but I know some of you are on a budget. Hey, I'm on a budget. And I'm going to give you two budget babies here. Ellis Island Casino, Flamingo and Koval. I used to live right down the street from it so I could walk from the Meridian Apartments to Ellis Island. I love Ellis Island. If you get a player's club card, I think their steak dinner is $9.99. If you play like two minutes of video poker, I think it drops to $7.99 automatically. But bottom line, steak dinner for 10 bucks, and their rib place is actually exceptional Love Ellis Island. Mackenzie, have you been to Ellis Island? 2013, one of the first places I went to because it was so cheap. <laughs> and good, right? The and food- good, yeah. No, it was an enjoyable place to be, for sure. Absolutely. One more for you, the South Point Coffee Shop. All right, the South Point recently made the decision to not to accept my sports betting wagers, so you know their coffee shop's good if I'm still recommending <laughs> it because I'm not getting any comps or any any reason to promote the South Point. The bottom line is that uh, the, their late-night specials are like old Las Vegas. You can get the, I don't even know if it's three ninety five cheeseburger, four ninety five steak and eggs, Two ninety nine uh, breakfast specials, but an absolute best bet. And even during normal hours, the that coffee shop has great Chinese food. Here's how you know that the there's tons of value at the South Point Coffee Shop. There are no takeout orders now. You can't ask for a doggy bag and get around it that way. But uh, they know the value is so good there that they will not allow you to go ahead and purchase a takeout order. Otherwise, I'd be in a small business driving Uber and selling back their, <laughs> their steak and eggs at 3 o'clock in the morning. Good stuff. Let's have a few best bets. What do you say, Mackenzie? Let's do it. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind.
Best bet number one, MLB season wins. Arizona Diamondbacks. So open 59.5 at DraftKings. It's down to 56.5. I don't care because 59.5 was just a stupid number. Diamondbacks are 26 and 66. If they go 32 and 40 the rest of the year, that would be as miraculous a turnaround as you could possibly expect. A team that's winning less than 30% of their games to suddenly be competitive for 32 and 40, that's still not going to beat you. They got to go 33 and 39 to beat you to get to 57 wins. Further, you know, we could always go ahead and have a game postponed for COVID or for, you know, I guess a rainout. Um, not in Arizona, but someplace else. So the bottom line, even if they play all their games, Arizona is not going 33 and 39 under 56 and a half wins. Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that I expect would be calling up a whole bunch of AAA players to get them some playing time in September. I can only imagine how much the Padres, the Giants, and the Dodgers, who are all going to need these games in September, are going to be favored against this god awful Arizona team. I think that's an excellent point about the rest of the division. It's the most competitive division in baseball. If there's one team that's going to, you know, call off the dogs. It's going to be that Diamondbacks team. You know, it's interesting you said call off the dogs because that's always a term that I've heard for a team letting up that's winning. Right, right. <laughs> it's kind of opposite here. <laughs> maybe, maybe shoot the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Let the dogs die. <laughs> All right. How about one more best bet? Let's do it. NFL Week One best bet: Jacksonville, Houston total under forty-five and a half. I'm going to keep this one simple. Houston, they're not going to have Watson week one. They're going to likely have to go with Tyrod Taylor. Their offense, not going to be very good. The concern, of course, is that Houston's defense is going to be bad. However, this is a phenomenon I've seen quite often in games. When you get a team that's not that good, or even that is good, and they're playing a team that's completely compromised, the mindset becomes, don't screw it up. Be really careful. Remember when New Orleans Saints went ahead and played a team without a quarterback this past year, and they were just like, all right, we're not going to turn the ball over because we know we're going to win the game. I think that that, that's going to be Urban Meyer and Jacksonville's philosophy in this game, that um, he's going to go ahead and be very careful with Lawrence and not do anything to turn the ball over or lose the game. And because of that, I expect a close-to-the-vest offensive scheme for Jacksonville week one and a final score here of 20 to 17. I'm going to go under the 45 and a half Jacksonville Houston. That makes a lot of sense to me. Just think about it. How often do you get a rookie QB on a one in 15 team favored? I think they keep it very close to the vest and how much would a win just a win doesn't matter three zero nothing. A win is going to be huge for Meyer's story and for Lawrence's story early in the season. I endorse it. I like it. I like it. Fez. All right, so to summarize, it's the slow time of year. Not a lot of betting that is offered this week, but uh, certainly you look hard enough, you can find all kinds of value with the betting board and oftentimes having to go to some derivatives and some props, some season wins, and that is really a great opportunity to attack this time of year. Historic line move. The biggest line move we have ever seen, and it just occurred this week, WNBA All-Star Game, total opens 250. Many shops copy that number, and then it free falls throughout the day. Closes 195, lands 178. What the heck happened, and what can we learn from this? I think the number one thing that we can learn from this is so often you hear the bookmakers, 
They know everything. They've got all the data. They're really difficult to beat. And frankly, I just disagree with that statement completely. I know a lot of professional sports bettors and gamblers. And I'd say the one trait that the most successful ones share is a universal lack of respect for most bookmakers. They feel that even the name bookmaker just isn't even relevant, that it's much more of an odds copier, that that's what 90% of the books do is just put up a number that everyone else is putting up, and they're afraid to put up their own number. And when they try to do it and put up a virgin number, they very often get it wrong. Now, this is a weird situation for the All-Star Game with the WNBA in that a book I very much respect, Circa, put up a number that normally would make complete sense, 250 for the total, The WNBA has been happy action, fun time, run and gun, and 250 would make sense for a total, but the format got changed, and this is where Circa missed it. It's an Olympics year, and it's the Olympic national team playing the WNBA All-Stars, and because the Olympic national team wants to get ready to win the Olympics, they played the game as a good tune-up practice for how they want to play in the Olympics, and they play defense. They collapsed internally. They doubled people. They blocked shots. They contested shots, and thus the game went way under. So I actually give much more credit to Circa that put up the bad number, and Matthew, um, the sportsbook director for Circa, went ahead and recognized that in a quote in the Review Journal. He said, you know what? Matt Metcalf said, we just put up a bad number. It's on me. And the limit's obviously low. But all the other sports books, just of all of them, you would think one of them would have said, oh, that's a huge mistake. I can just put 230 up when everyone else is putting up 250. And they'll all bet over against me when the true total should be below 200. And they could have made a fortune. Not one book did anything close to that. And I think it's pretty condemning. And you wouldn't even have to have had to have dealt 230. You could have just dealt five points below market the entire way and took nothing but bogus over bets by people middling the game. So key lesson there, you know, years ago, RJ spoke about, and this may have been 10 years ago, there was an Atlantic 10 basketball game Duquesne was involved with that I know, where one book that originated college basketball lines was copying along, and the Duquesne total should have been like in the 150s, and the game before it was around 130, and they put that 130 on the Duquesne game accidentally, and they made the Duquesne total 130, and throughout the day, same thing, line move on the total, money just kept pouring in after everyone copied the originator, and it just goes to show there are very, very few actual bookmakers in this business, and the vast majority of people have stopped hiring anyone to even give them advice on what the lines should be. They're just copying the lines. Mackenzie, you surprised, shocked by that, or not surprised? Well, kudos to Circa and Matt Metcalf for actually doing the work. It's pretty surprising, though. You do hear that term all the time, odds makers, bookmakers. They know more than you. I'm glad I got to know you to, to disabuse me of that myth. One cautionary tale here. So, in general, the way to win is just one of the ways to win is wait for someone to put up a virgin line and then look at which way the line's moving and immediately hop on it, especially if it's something that's a little bit difficult to price, if there were format changes, et cetera, because that first line move absolutely is usually spot on. Well, be a little careful because one clever better, I believe this is what happened, the total for that. WNBA All-Star Game opened a little bit below 250. I think it was 248.5. Their first pop, a limit bet from a, quote, respected customer on the over. 
And think about that. If you know a number is like way, way, way off and only one book has it with lower limits, what could be a more clever way to freeze the market and freeze other bettors bet it to go up even higher so anyone looking at the screen says, oh, they're betting this up. I'll wait. And in the meantime, everyone copies that number and you can get down 20 times more if you just wait and are patient. But by betting that over first, oftentimes that freezes the market. And I got to tell you, I'm victim to this also. All the time, there's situations where like, I might like an over 46 in the NFL. And then I see a couple of sharp books tick up to, um, I'm sorry, tick down to 45 and a half. And I'm like, hmm, no hurry to bet that one. I might get 45. And so I won't bet it if it's moving opposite of where I think it should be. And sometimes it's just people head faking at the marketplace, including myself. So those are out there. But usually those head fakes happen when the market is not very liquid. The more liquidity that pops in once more books put up the number, the more likely, if it truly is a bad number, it gets taken out immediately. Another lesson might be just to look for format changes in All-Star games. I just pulled this up in 2012. 97 points in the Pro Bowl. Next year, they change it from AFC, NFC to Team Sanders, Team whatever. 33 points scored the next day. So 60 points less the next year after that format change. We might see that in other sports. Yeah, Pro Bowl has been fraught with um, changes, including uh, clock changes where the clock would run after uh, incomplete passes, um, a change that was made. So uh, big changes and venue changes, obviously, going from Hawaii to Orlando. So... Absolutely. When change occurs, oftentimes that's your opportunity to go ahead and bet um, different from what you may have bet in the past. I might say it didn't change anything in the baseball all-star game where all you got to do is bet the AL and bet the under. I think the under has cashed 80% or close to it in recent years, and the AL has won like eight games in a row. Oh, well, now the game's in Colorado with – you know, in the high altitude, and the no, no adjustment needed. <laughs> AL and under. Thank you very much. Cash both of your tickets. Vladimir Guerrero did hit the longest home run we've ever seen in an All Star game, but it was only one of seven total runs. You know, that's a great point because in the home run derby, I know there was an over under of five oh one was the opener on the distance, and the combination of it being an altitude and them not using the humidor for those baseballs in the home run derby. I know a whole lot of people. That over 501, over 505, over 510. I think the longest one was like in the low 520s. All that money got there with a victorious bet. So that was a prop bet. And we oftentimes talk about this, that um, the very best bets can be things that you can only you bet over or you bet under. Um, you bet a yes or, you, or a no. And McKenzie, you actually nailed one of the, the first-round matchups. The only favorite to win their first-round matchup. Really? Is that right? Yeah, you got on them like minus 180 Alonzo yeah. and, and closed minus 240. I can't take any credit for it. The great Sleepy Jay gave it to us. It was a minus 180 Alonzo versus Salvador Perez. He had a great handicap, and he also topped it. He got the plus 550 on Pete Alonzo to go ahead and win the whole thing. How strong was this for Sleepy? Not only does he nail the minus 180 that goes to like minus 240, but the other three guys, um, Otani, Gallo, and whoever I'm leaving out, all get upset in the first round. So um, if you wanted to hedge in a profit, I know that his guy, Alonzo, became a monster favorite in the next two rounds as well. Great job, Sleepy. Uh, Speaking of best bets, it's that time. Let's get into some best bets. You know what? Let's start with Diamond Dave Essler, he's got a best bet, NFL Week 1. Week 1 NFL, I bet the Washington football team, plus one and a half over the Chargers. You know, flashback to last year's playoffs when Washington played the Bucks tough and 
It was with Division II journeyman Taylor Henke, a quarterback, whose previous contract was with the St. Louis Battlehawks of the XFL. This year, enter Fitzpatrick. Two seasons in Miami posted his highest two QBRs of his career. Washington had Samuel to complement McLaurin's 1,100 receiving yards, and that was with four different quarterbacks. And let's not understate Samuel's years under Rivera in Carolina. And speaking of coaching, Staley's an upgrade just because he's not Anthony Lynn. But the Chargers lost a ton on defense, including Melvin Ingram and Denzel Perriman. So while people are focusing on Justin Herbert with not much discussion of losing Hunter Henry, the Chargers' defense is the big question mark. Washington's defense is not a question mark. It's a defense that finished third in defensive DVOA last year and used their first-round pick on Jamin Davis, arguably the most athletic linebacker in the draft. When all is said and done here, Washington seemingly got a lot better in the offseason, and yet their 2021 win total is only one more than last year's actual win total. I believe that to be incorrect as well. I love RJ's Washington NFC East bet, and in this game, WFT is WTF, which stands for wrong team favored. I bet Washington plus one and a half week one over the Chargers. So Dave firing on NFL week one. We've got the Hitman's feedback. Well, we don't have audio on the Hitman. He's in an undisclosed location, which I'm not going to tell anyone where he is, but he may be swimming with dolphins right now somewhere in the Caribbean. Bottom line is the Hitman is going to go to the NFL season wins. Detroit Lions under five wins. Hitman's analysis, Detroit, I'm going to summarize it and make it succinct. Detroit stinks. Their defense is lousy. They have no (laughs) position players of any capability, and now they've got a huge downgrade at quarterback with Goff coming in. Detroit Lions under five wins. Pre-game never sleeps. Some say, hey, slow week. No, lots of uh, discussion of various topics. Football will be upon us in the very near future. Hey, first game's only three weeks away in preseason, so we could not be more excited, and we are devoted and dedicated to doing our very best to give you the best information and give all of you the very best chance to win. I want to thank everybody out there who listens to the podcast, listens to Straight Out of Vegas. We're here because of you, and we are here to absolutely make your betting decisions as good as possibly can be. Thank you again for everyone that listens.